Um, we want to encourage you in very specific ways to approach Christmas this year. And, and so for this morning's uh, text, I, I just realized just prior to getting up here that I didn't actually have the text um, in the, in, so I just inserted it here. I, we're going to be coming from Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go a little bit farther than that uh, in, in the sermon time at the end. But I wanted to go ahead and just read this for you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are not doing a study in the book of Hebrews. Um, this is the text of Scripture that I'm going to be uh, drawing out today. And, uh, and I'll walk through a little bit more of what to expect in the coming weeks here. But let's just go ahead and read this together. Um, uh, read along as I, uh, follow along as I read. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so this is, this is the text we're going to be drawing from, and I'm going to uh, just ask, because I don't, did I drop off in volume, and are you, yeah, are you hearing me okay, or would you rather it louder? I'm looking at the people in the back. We're good? All right. All right, I'm going to trust. All right, thank you very much. So uh, I just, I knew I was at one volume and then I didn't know if it was me or them. So uh, we'll go ahead and, and uh, just continue on here. So this book of Hebrews references a particular uh, event or perspective, actually both events and perspectives that were true of the Jewish people. But as we talk about expecting Christmas, as we, as we move our minds and hearts to anticipate the, the celebration of an event, we're four weeks away from that. Christmas is on a Sunday uh, this year, at, or Christmas Eve, excuse me, Christmas Eve is on a, on a Sunday this year. And so for the next four Sundays, we're going to be challenging you this, with this idea of expecting Christmas. So, so what are we attempting to communicate as we move in this direction? Well, I want to start off by just saying this word expecting. Expectations are a daily reality. You may not think of it as such, but if you've ever sat down with me for any form of counseling, discipleship, or whatever, more than likely you've heard me reference uh, this passage of Scripture, and I, I know I've referenced it here from this pulpit not too long ago, but Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. I use this verse to explain the, the reality of, of expectations in our life. We have them daily. We have them throughout the day. But as we think here in this text of Scripture, I want to just kind of walk through it. Hope is the idea of positive expectations. Notice that the, the author of Proverbs here is not talking about negative expectations. He's saying that this thing called hope, this is something we're looking forward to. It's something that we think is a positive thing. How do we know it's a positive thing? Because he says when it's deferred or not realized, when it's put off, when we, are, when we, are, when we desire something, we have this expectation and it's not realized, then it makes our heart sick. It causes us grief. That's how I know this is a positive expectation because 
Because we, we, we usually use this word hope for there, uh, for, to, to explain this. I, I hope so. I have this desire for a hopeful conclusion or a resolution to a, to a particular uh, situation. So positive expectations that are not realized, they cause us grief. It says it, it makes our heart sick. As we think about expectations every day, we, we, may not, we may not experience a deferred expectation every day. But I don't think there's a person in the room that would not be able to identify what it means to have a, a sick heart or a grieving heart, a sad heart, a disappointed heart. Uh, maybe, maybe even an, an angry heart, but I, I may, because anger isn't sin, it's, it's, it's the idea of that anger not being in, uh, a righteous anger. But when, when we think about this, think about those things in your life, even today, where you had an expectation and it was not realized. Maybe you anticipated being here sooner than you were. Maybe you anticipated stopping at Dunkin' or Starbucks on the way and you didn't. Uh, maybe you had an expectation of meeting someone here and, and they are not here for whatever reason. There's any number of expectations that we can have, but when they're put off, when they're deferred, when they are not realized, it, it causes us angst. It causes us grief of heart. But the Word of God says, when the desire comes, and so, but when, when, when expectations are fulfilled, this is... This is the realization of the hope. This is the answer to the, the, the solution to the problem. This is the, the uh, all, all that we had hoped for has been realized and maybe even more than we realized. So positive expectations not realized cause us grief, but fulfilled expectations bring us joy. Are you joyful this morning? Seriously, as we talk about coming to Christmas, I mean, we ought to be joyful. If anyone in the world uh, should be joyful, it's Christians as we approach Christmas. So I, I use this as a, as a way of understanding when we say expectations, right, Ex expecting Christmas. What we're saying, expectations are a daily reality, and they must be established with caution. Now, what I, I didn't say, and I often say, especially in pre-marriage counseling, is that sometimes you don't know you have an expectation until it goes unrealized, until it goes unfulfilled. Many times in, in marriages, you have a young couple or older couple, maybe the first time uh, uh, marriage, and, and they're, they're coming into the situation, and they, they have all these high hopes, positive expectations of marriage. And then when they enter into the marriage, they, they start experiencing things they didn't, think they were going to experience and it's and it's and it's like it's not measuring up to what they had hoped and they have this grieving sad heart and 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 so we have to be honest with our expectations in the sense that it's a it is a daily reality but we have to approach them with caution well why because expectations determine direction not results i hope you have a great expectation of your marriage whether it's, whether it's happening tomorrow, uh, a year from now, or whether it happened 
you know, 50 years ago, whatever it might be. But listen, you have expectations, and, and expectations determine direction. I woke up this morning anticipating a hot cup of, of, of uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee and, and coming to church and seeing people that I know and love. And, and so, therefore, I get up in the morning, and I, I start in the, in, the, in the process of making that happen. That's the direction I'm going. Little did I know, and by the way, this is all make-believe. I was not expecting Duncan this morning. That's tomorrow, okay. Um, but I'll wake up in the morning tomorrow, and I'll set my direction, and I'll, and I'll go in such a way that I'm hoping these things will happen. And, and hopefully the snow or the, whatever the weather, we're actually heading a little, about an hour and a half north tonight. Uh, for uh, Christina has got a meeting. She'll be at all day tomorrow, a conference. And so we'll be up there, but it's supposed to snow, snow up there potentially. And so hopefully that won't hinder me from having my hope realized, my expectation realized. Because we can see as expectations that happen every day, they determine direction, but they don't necessarily always come to be. Hence, Proverbs 13, 12 causes the heart to be sick. So we're asking that you identify your expectations regarding Christmas. When we say expecting Christmas, are you expecting Christmas? It's on the calendar. It's on your calendar. It's on my calendar. It's on the world's calendar for the most part. Certainly it's not going to be recognized by every uh, uh, geographical location the same way. But for us in this room, we ought to be approaching Christmas with certain expectations. And so that's what we mean, that's what I mean by the, by the words ex- expecting Christmas. And so as you, as you begin to identify your expectations regarding Chris, Christmas, uh, I'm going to encourage you in, in a very specific area today uh, of, of what to do. But uh, I would ask you to consider what are your expectations. So I, I thought uh, before we, we move on in, in specifics, uh, the, these these. The, we're asking you to identify your expectations regarding Christmas because they are avenues to joyful worship. Notice the red and green. The red, the, the red is not supposed to be bad. It's just red and green, Christmas colors, right? Because, listen, if we're focused on expecting Christmas, finding Christ, we're not saying that those two are diametrically opposed, but we're also not saying that those things are going to automatically happen. Expecting Jesus but finding Christ, it's the idea of, of these, these realized expectations in our life as we approach Christmas, they should result in joyful worship. And so there's avenues for us to get anywhere. Like Again, setting the course is this idea. So today and next Sunday, I'll be preaching. Uh, and, and the following week will be Joe. And then Christmas Eve will be Pastor Dave. Uh, and then Aaron is actually going to lead our, our Christmas Eve service at 4.30 on that day. So for today and next Sunday, I will identify two obstacles to joyful worship. We're just going to deal with one today. I'm not going to tell you what the second one is. That's a spoiler. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave that for you uh, to, to uh, experience next week. But these obstacles to joyful worship exist every day. But I think more so as we approach Christmas. As, as we talk about these two, again, just, we're just going to deal with one today. I think these are always obstacles uh, to, to joyful worship, but I, I think they are heightened at this time of year. 
So before we focus on the first obstacle to joyful worship at Christmas, let's consider a few likely expectations. These are some likely expectations you might have as you approach Christmas. All right? Uh, what are your expectations for this Christmas? How about a restful time off? Anybody willing to admit? That's what that's, man, I'm looking forward to that. I see that hand in the back, Ken. All right? A school break. All right? All you students should have risen your hand, right? Oh, rest. Restful time off is a legitimate expectation. How about peaceful time with family? And, and really what this could be is the idea of resting with a family. But it could also just mean like, hey, what happens when you get family together? It's not always peaceful. It's not always. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of scheduling, maybe a lot of history. You know, it's not always peaceful time. But maybe that's hopefully you're hoping to have some peaceful time with your family. How about a new toy? I, I wanted to, to, to bring the men into, the, I, mean, I mean the children into, uh, in, into the story here as, as we talk about new toys. And, and you may be having your, uh, your sight set on a specific, you know, what is that? that, that the, it was just on the other night, the, the Christmas story where he wants the, the BB gun. And careful, you'll poke your eye out, right? Uh, I don't know if you've never seen the movie. You're not missing much. Okay. But... But maybe there's this new toy, this new thing that you're desiring. And that's a normal thing, is it not, as we approach Christmas? And, and honestly, we know it's better to give than to receive. So we might be, uh, a, a, our expectation might be the new toy we're giving, not necessarily receiving. Right? This, these, are, these are positive expectations that you can have. What about a new relationship? I know in my young life, uh, during the holidays, especially during college break or whatever, if you were in a relationship, there might be a, a, a time or, or maybe there's a budding relationship. That's an exciting time. And, and at Christmas time, oh, to buy that special gift for your loved one, your, 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 your love interest, whatever it would have been in that age. Maybe it's time for an engagement ring or to receive a ring. These, these are positive expectations as we approach Christmas. Now, there's some I left off here. How about growing in our understanding of, of God and of his word? How about an expectation of, of, of understanding that the, the child in the manger that we celebrate, you know, he, we, we are expecting to understand maybe a fuller expression of the gospel, of Jesus' uh, nature as the God-man, being incarnated as a, as a baby, living a sinless life, raising, being, raising, raised in a Jewish family and, and confounding the, the religious leaders in his day as a, as a young boy and then, and then coming on the scene and actually having disciples and all that amazing stuff. Listen, this is a time of season for us to, to grow and mature and understanding. I, I didn't put it on the list, but certainly that should be there. So these are all good expectations. Right? Here's a question for you. When does a good gift from God become something bad? I'm going to ask you to think about that. I'm not going to ask you to answer it. I just want you to think about that question. When does a good gift from God become something bad? When it becomes an idol. There are good things that we are allowed to experience in this life. Freedom, uh, for most of us, I would say, not lacking 
in creature comforts. Uh, uh, we, we have roofs over our head, food on our plate. Uh, we have stable jobs. Again, I'm not saying that everyone can, can say that exactly, but, but when we're talking about expecting Christmas, when, when, when a good gift from God becomes something bad, it's because it has become an idol. The blessing of God that we have received, to which we are saying it's of His grace and we're very thankful for, and, and then at some imperceptible way, it has become the focus of our attention and rather being thankful to the God who gave us the good gift we are in a sense worshiping the good gift how about security financial security does that that you know God provides for us and and many of us in the room are financially secure there there's a financial security but if that security is threatened we become anxious of heart Hope deferred. We have this idea that we would be that we would be secure for the rest of our lives. How dare there be a stock market crash and wipes away our longing? Are, are we thankful for God's provision only when we have his provision in the sense of wealth? Or are we thankful for his provision even when our wealth is done away with? And you can see how we can be so thankful for his provision, but then imperceptibly we start worshiping the thing more than the person who gave us the thing. It sounds like Romans 1, who, who, who worship creation, you know, these people who are, who are supposed to know who God is, and they've worshiped the creature rather than the creator. It's part of, part of our human nature to to, to not always be always on target. And so as we ask you to uh, evaluate your expectations for Christmas, we want to warn you about this thing called idolatry. So the, ob the first obstacle, the only one we're going to talk about today, the first obstacle to joyful worship is idolatry. And this is why I'm saying that it, it comes more prominent this time of year because usually we want to say idolatry. Oh, yeah, consumerism. Right? Oh, this world, they just, they just want to consume, 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 and they've lost the meaning of Christmas. So I'm not buying any gifts. I'm not practicing the world's view of Christmas. Well, you, you probably shouldn't practice the world's view of Christmas, but there's plenty in the world that we can celebrate joyfully because it is pointing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So, so the reality of idolatry, and this is the way I understand idolatry for me, it, it is the idea when something has become so prominent that we are focused on it rather than the provider of the good things that we want. I'm not, I'm not talking about idolatry from a non-Christian perspective. The ones that we would say, well, I don't practice worshiping of stone or wood or, or artifacts or any of those type of things. I'm not guilty of that. Well, I, we, I get that. But as we look in the book of Hebrews, I, I think it's the idea that we're, as believers, we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of idolatry. Because idolatry is not new. It's been practiced from the beginning of God's people. And what do I mean by that? 
The, the nation of Israel, I should say the people of Israel, the Israelites, left Egypt. They crossed, they crossed through the Red Sea. They get on the other side. Moses goes up to the mountain of God to receive the law of God. And what's happening? Oh, he's up there so long. They start worshiping a golden calf. Idolatry is not new for people that say that they, uh, they honor God. And certainly they were dishonoring them. And that is certainly the flagrant nature of idolatry, worshiping a golden calf and saying, this is our God. We would not do that. But there are more sinister ways for idolatry to enter into people's lives. So I, want to say, I just want to address two ways to deal with idolatry. And they're very simple, and I'm going to give them to you both right, right away. And that is avoid it. Just, just avoid it. If you're not guilty of it, don't ever be guilty of it. Avoid it. But if you're guilty of it, repent of it. This is, this is the, the two ways to deal with idolatry. Avoid it or repent of it. And so that's not, that's not the meat of the message, by the way. All right, That's just calling it out. There's the two ways. But both these ways are possible by practicing the same solution that we find in the book of Hebrews. I'm thankful for this encouraging text because as we talk about something as sinister as idolatry, as sinful and as evil as idolatry, something usurping the place of God in our life, if, if, you, if usurping is not a word that you, that you understand, it's the idea of if God is supposed to rule on, on the, the throne of our heart, we're supposed to worship nothing else, the first commandment. We're supposed to worship nothing else but God. But we worship something else than God, that's idolatry. So whether it's avoiding it or repenting of it, if you already find yourself in it, listen, you can practice this simple uh, solution as we go forward. So here's the text. Uh, again, we've already read it once, but I want to just uh, highlight this, these first words for you here. These all died in faith. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't read the first part of the chapter, but if you understand uh, the, the, the layout of Hebrews 11, we call it the... the the heroes of the faith. Uh, we, we hear about Abel offered to God. This is verse 4. I don't have it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Uh, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Right? So we, we are familiar with these characters. Uh, Abel, uh, uh, Enoch, Noah. Then, then the text of, of Hebrews goes on to mention, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Remember the faith of Abraham. We highlight that. Paul highlights that. Verse 11, by faith Sarah, Abraham's wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. We see as we get into verse 13, these all died in faith. Now we know Enoch didn't die. All right, we, we, we do know that, that that's not, it's not supposed to say that he, di he did die. That's not what this text is saying. But he's saying, these all, the ones that died, they all died, what? Not having received the promises. 
But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we are just introduced to these few people. And then as we go in after these verses, it goes back to Abraham. It mentions Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They're, they're known as the patriarchs of, of the, the uh, of, of the Israelites. And, and it, but notice what it says in verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. When we get to verse uh, 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Then it goes on to the, the faith of Moses. And so as, as, we, as we talk, and then it says, there's too many to remember as we remember our Old Testament, as we remember all these stories. The author of Hebrews is bringing these few people in the beginning and then subsequent. And right in the middle of all these lives that we know the stories of, he says, these all died. Remember last week when we talked about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We talked about how it was centrally located in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the same deal. Verses 13 through 16 are right in the middle of this section of Hebrews. And it's bringing prominence to the text. And he's talking about the people before and he's talking about the people after. But it says, these all died in faith. What the author of Hebrews is, 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 is directing us to is this idea of faith. This faithful living. These all died in faith in believing something, right? So, so as we talk about solution steps, right? We're, we're saying the obstacle to joyful worship is to either avoid it or repent it. The idea of avoiding idolatry is, here, here's step one, all right? Know the promises of God. This requires that you actually know God's word and read God's word and engage in it on a regular basis. But know the promises of God. That's what he's pointing out for Abraham specifically when, when he says, when he says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So Abraham was given specific promises. One of those promises we have highlighted over and over again, uh, and, and it is the, the promise that through uh, the, the seed of the woman, but even uh, talking about Adam and Eve, but then through Abraham's seed, there would be this promised Messiah. That is one of the promises, one aspect of the promise. And, and that is a central focus of the New Testament, of understanding that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of God. So it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. So for them to know that they had not received it, they had to know what the promises were. They were promised a land. They were promised uh, a, a they were promised, uh, um uh, uh, well, the land is probably the biggest one for the nation of Israel, all right? But they certainly know that they had not received the Messiah yet. And so every one of these people that has been listed already, they all died. They knew the promises. But not having received the promises, 
was their reality. They were, they lived their life to the point of death, at least knowing the promises of God and that they had not been fulfilled yet. But there's more to say as we talk about solution step number two. So we have to know something, but we also have to take confidence in, in these promises. And, and that's what we see as, as, as we go on in the text. He says, they died not having received it, but having, while they were living, having seen them afar off, were assured of them. That idea of assurance, that idea of confidence. The, these, these individuals were living in relationship with God, and they, they knew his promises, and they were confident in the promises even though they never received them. Let's go on. All right? Third step, trust the promises of God. So we have to know them. And if we know them, because of God's character, we can have confidence in them. But you all know and I know that having confidence in something and trusting in something are two different things. I think the stereotypical example is the high wire or the tightrope. Right? There was the guy who, who uh, I, I forget his name. I forget his name. But it's one of those sermon illustrations you've probably heard 20 times. It's the idea that as they're standing on the preface, precipice of this, this large, gargantuan opening in the earth, and there's this tightrope across it, and the guy's getting ready to go out, and there's a large crowd, and they're, they're, they're all excited. They're going to see this guy walk on this rope, and, and, and you know, he's going to maybe have one of those bars. But instead of a bar, the guy pulls out a wheelbarrow. Have you heard this, right? And he says, how many think I can cross this with a wheelbarrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, we think you can do it, we think you can do it. All right, will you jump in? Ooh. I have confidence you can cross that wire with a wheelbarrow, but I'm not trusting it. It's the same idea of trusting in a piece of furniture to hold your weight. It's the idea. We trust in things all the time. We have confidence a chair will hold our weight, so we sit down in it. We never even think about it. I didn't know it was here, but I'll illustrate it. Watch. All right? Ready? You're the man, all right? You started that clap. I appreciate that. Right? We don't even think about it. You didn't, you didn't think about when you sat in the chair today that it might collapse on you. You have confidence in that chair, and you demonstrated that confidence by trusting in it. And that's what we're saying. When we come to this idea of, of, of idolatry, we have to know the promises of God. And the promises that we have are so much greater than the promises that they had in the Old Testament. We understand so much more of the story. And we have confidence in the promises of God, do we not? I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. I believe that he died in my place on that cross to atone for my sins because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I have confidence in God's promises. Trusting in those promises, what does it mean to trust? You know, we talk about trusting Jesus as our Savior. Listen, I, I would say we probably have more confidence in Jesus than trust oftentimes in our life. Because, listen, we have confidence in who Jesus is. But really, my life is supposed to look different because of my faith in him? Well, that's where you get to demonstrate your trust 
in the promise of God? Do you believe that you have new life in Christ? Do you believe that you've stepped from death to life? Do you believe that, that he will meet your needs, not necessarily your wants? So I, I think as we talk about the, this obstacle of idolatry, we will avoid idolatry if we, if we seek to know God's promises, have confidence in them, and then trust him. If you are in the act of trusting someone, the odds of you violating that trust or, or somehow falling into sin in this context and, 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 dis, and, and failing to trust God, if you're in the act of trusting, when are you going to fall into idolatry? We're going to keep going here. All right? He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them. All right? It's, this is the idea of, of, of the, the trusting. I mean, I mean, I'm not just having confidence. I, I climbed in the wheelbarrow. I've embraced these promises. And then he finishes off this idea of these three, and he says, listen, the, solutions, the final solution step is declare your citizenship. Since I said expectations are something we have every day, I added every day on there. Declare your citizenship every day. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Because if you look at this text, it goes on to say, listen, they, they, they understood the promises, they, trusted, they, they had confidence in them, they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What's your expectation of Christmas? Whose kingdom are you going to identify with at this time of year? Because remember, it's a subtle danger for us to get our eyes off something good and, and to, where, to where that good thing has become the most important thing. They were, they were characterized by confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The idea of this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I mean, we're, we're familiar with that terminology. But this is where that comes from. The idea that they confessed. They, they, were, they were people who were, their life was characterized by considering themselves strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Think about how that took place for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Just the four that were listed. Um, Think about how they were strangers. Abraham was walking all over the land of Canaan. God said, this is going to be your land. But he never owned a single part until he bought the grave site for his wife who died. It was the only part he owned in all the promised land. But he knew God was faithful. And he knew God was going to follow through on his faithfulness and on his promises. And he knew his descendants would one day walk on in the land and it would be theirs and God would give it to them. That's the way Abraham lived his life. He goes on to say, as we talk about this citizenship, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. This is the idea of not just a, 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 growing up, my dad being in the military, I, I always said I was from the United States, right? I'm an American. I, that, of course, I know that means you can be a Canadian and, and a Mexican and still be an American, right? I, I, I never understood that as a kid. I, oh, I'm, I'm from, you know, an American. Well, yeah, well, yes, we are. But 
I'll be honest with you. When I said that, I meant my homeland, the place I identify with, and the one that exudes from the way I dress and speak and all those things, my homeland. It's like for those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. I, when I lived in Germany for three years, all I wanted to do was get back home. When I was deployed, all I wanted to do was get back home. Right? Homeland. It's, it's, this is not a minor thing. This is a main thing for us to understand in this text. Verses, verse 15. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. He's saying, listen, as we talk about these people who have demonstrated the characteristics, uh, uh, godly characteristics that we've talked about, these people that know the promises and living the promises, listen, they could have returned. He says, but, verse 16, now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. And he's talking about the patriarchs. We are to desire a better country. A heavenly country. I'm very thankful to live where I live. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox of uh, politics or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm just saying our identity needs to be in our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Foremost. And everything ought to be an outworking of the citizenship that we have because of that we have been purchased by the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, we can, they, they, they sought a homeland, but the homeland wasn't, for me, it wasn't the United States. My, I am called to seek a homeland that is heavenly. Now, this, remember, this is Hebrews. This is New Testament. And he's using Old Testament characters to illustrate a New Testament truth. And that is, as much as they desired this heavenly homeland... That would be an answer to all the promises God had given them. We know so much more. And it ought to even be even more of a reality for us to desire this same homeland. Obstacle number one to joyful worship is idolatry. And faithfulness to God results in his approval and his provision. Right When we actually either avoid it altogether, it's because we have exercised faith. If we are in the midst of idolatry and we come to a realization, I'm worshiping the creature rather than the creator, or I'm worshiping the thing rather than the giver of the thing, when I realize that and I repent of it, the only way you're going to repent of it is by faithfulness. Having faith in God. Because faithfulness to God results in His approval and His provision. God is not in the habit of being miserly with his gifts. Uh, Pastor Joe uh, uh, showed me a book. Uh, I, I listened to part of it. I read part of it. And, and, and it's uh, this wonderful idea that God is the giver of gifts, and God is overwhelmingly giving us. He gives us, right, he, you know, uh, more above and beyond what we could ask or even imagine, right? God is in the habit of giving, 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 giving. And yet we approach him as if he's miserly. But when we get focused on a thing rather than the giver of the thing, we have to turn back to our faithfulness in God. 
practice these steps that we've been talking about. But he says in verse thing, verse, at the end of verse uh, 16, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Whew. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Those patriarchs, those livers of faithfulness to God, were willing to turn their backs and all the world had to offer simply because of a promise that was thousands of years away. Are we willing to, to also live in light of not the first advent of Jesus, but the second advent of Jesus? We know Jesus has come, but he's coming again. And we are called to live in expectant hope of that. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for the people who are living in faithfulness based on the first advent. He's saying, the author of Hebrews is telling us, God will not be ashamed of us if we live in light of the second advent. For he has prepared a city for them. It's a past that the city's prepared. Jesus said, listen, I leave, but when I leave, I'm going to a place. I'll call you back to myself, and while I leave, I prepare a place for you. The Hebrew author of Hebrews is saying, there's a city of God. It's already prepared, and it's coming. But we are called to live in faithfulness now. He says later in the, in the chapter, and all these, all the other people that he mentioned, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They didn't receive it either, all these other people of the Old Testament. God having provided something better for us. This is us in the room. God having provided something better for us, the people receiving the, this letter to the Hebrews, but this is for us too. What? That they should not be made perfect apart from us. This is a regular teaching within the New Testament as well that, listen, don't worry about those that have preceded you in death. Right? They, didn't, they didn't miss anything. We haven't missed anything. Right? The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us that are living will be caught up together in the air with them and will forever be with the Lord. That's what he's saying here. God provides for eternity. God, having provided something better for us, that we should not be made perfect apart from us. We are going to be made perfect. So as we conclude this idea of expecting Christmas, I ask you to consider what are you expecting? Are you expecting God to do something? Because you may be doing that. And by the way, I'm just encouraging you. Keep it up. Pursue it. But because of the heightened commercialism and consumerism and all those other isms that might be around in the world, we wanted to start off as we head towards Christmas just bringing these two obstacles to joyful worship before you so that you can start now to join this, the heroes of the faith in living faithfully for all that God has promised you. So if you are intent in finding Christ this Christmas, let me encourage you to continue. But if you are in danger of falling to the item of, the, the, the excuse me, falling into the sin of idolatry, I'm going to encourage you, as we're going to encourage you in song in just a minute, and as Aaron has already encouraged us, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. That's not necessarily the words we're going to sing. I'm not sure. This is a new rendition of this song. But I will say, listen, you want to avoid idolatry? Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this Christmas season, and as we are going to experience the onslaught of, of all that's going to be asked of us, which usually is tagged with our wallet or our credit card, find, find real peace, real hope by buying this thing, by going to this place, by saving money this way. Father, help us to overcome all the snares of the devil and the darts of the devil as we approach Christmas with a realization that there is joy to be had and worship to be given as we approach Christmas and as we approach you. Lord, I pray for each and every one in this room. I pray, Lord, that they are in the midst of idolatry, that they would repent. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance is just saying, I agree with you, Lord, and I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and turn and, and have confidence in you and have confidence in your word. And then I'm going to trust your word that it will lead me out of this idolatry. Father, I pray for anyone that may be there even now that you would bring this to their understanding and, Lord, strengthen them to live in light of the promises that you've given to us as your children. Father, is there anyone here that does not know Christ? We pray, Lord, that, that as they have uh, approached this season, their expectation is it's going to be the same old, same old. And there's nothing different about life with or without Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bring the meaning of Christmas into their life in some way, Lord. Help them to understand their need of Jesus. And whether it's a need we have from, for forgiveness of our sins or if it's a need we have for repentance and, and, and restored fellowship, Lord, I pray that we would seek to keep our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.